Welcome to the New Books Network. This is the Nordic Asia Podcast. Welcome to the Nordic Asia Podcast, showcasing collaboration about Asia across the Nordic region. I'm Duncan McCargo, Director of the Nordic Institute of Asian Studies and a Professor of Political Science at the University of Copenhagen. And today, it's my great pleasure to be joined by Sheila Coronel, who's the Tony Stabila Professor of Professional Practice in Investigative Journalism at Columbia Journalism School. Uh, she's a noted expert on the Philippines and a longtime observer of the politics of that country. Sheila, welcome to the Nordic Asia podcast. Thank you, Duncan. It's great to be here. It's a great pleasure to have a chance to talk to you, but the immediate proximate reason for our conversation is a bit of a sad one, because we had the news yesterday that former Philippine President Benino Aquino III, popularly known as Noinoy, just passed away. And I wanted to have a chance to have a conversation with you about his legacy and where his passing leaves the Philippines. Yes, in, indeed. Although he's been apparently had been sick for some time, his passing at this time, the last year of the Duterte era, brings us to a very interesting inflection point in the Philippines. I mean, you and I both remember this rather strange episode, which I've just written an op-ed about in Asia Times, when President Aquino visited Columbia University and was. The, the recipient of a, a mixed reception from the audience, protesters in the audience started yes. yelling at him and things got very agitated and excitable. And as I wrote about in that op-ed, throughout this episode, he remained serenely calm and continued to attempt to respond to people's extremely emotional and agitated questions and heckling by reciting facts and figures. He had this portable filing cabinet and one of his staff members standing behind him, handing him pieces of paper. And there was an incredible sort of cognitive dissonance between the disorder in the hall and his insistence that, no, actually, he had all the answers. And if we would just hear him out, he would be able to explain everything to us and leave everybody satisfied. How did that episode strike you at the time? It is very characteristically Noi Noi Aquino. Mm -hmm. It's also very characteristically Philippine politics. Yes. Where protesting is ritualistic. I remember yes. I spoke at the graduation of the University of the Philippines Journalism School, and the faculty actually set aside a portion in the graduation ceremony where they said, okay, everybody who wants to protest, bring out <laughs> flags, say right. slogans, you can come up on stage now. Yes. So they had like a 10 minutes where people were marched up to the stage, unfurled their right. banners and shouted their slogans, and then they went back to regular programming. So no, 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 he's used to this. You know, no, no, yes. brought up in the politics of protest. His mother became president after a people power revolution. Of course. And when his family came back from exile in the U.S. to the Philippines after his father was shot in 1983, that started, you know, three years of protest that culminated in the ouster of Marcos. So... Noine was very comfortable in protest. He didn't see it necessarily as something unlike the current president. He didn't actually take that personally, I think. No. Yeah. No, he seemed to have a capacity not to take things personally. It was a kind of asset in a a curious way. Although it also made him feel slightly detached from reality. And I suppose that was the other side of it. He was very stoic and people attributed to the fact that he was 11 years old. 
the, uh, when his father went to prison. Yes. And so, so his father basically told him, you are the man in the family. You have to right. make sure everyone is going to be okay. Can you imagine mm. that happening to anyone at the age of 11? And all he was interested then at that time was listening to records. Yes. This was the 1970s. This was 1972 when his mm-hmm. father went to jail. So he's a completely apolitical kid thrust into the maelstrom of martial law and Philippine mm-hmm. politics. So he did develop a kind of stoicism, and then his father was assassinated. Yes. So he had to be the level-headed one and the one to keep his cool, and that's his personality. He absorbed. Nona Aquino, given the unusual circumstances of his family, had to basically rein in his emotions, especially in public, and to be the adult in the room given mm-hmm. all the upheavals, his father's assassination, his mother's rise to the presidency, all the attempted coups d'etat against her. Mm-hmm. And in fact, in one of them, I, I believe he was caught out in the streets near the presidential palace. And he was not really unlike his sister, Chris, who, who became a movie star. He was very private right. and stuck to a few friends and was very reluctant to go out and do the handshaking dancing on stage rituals that Filipino politicians have been accustomed to. He was a reluctant president as well. So I see him as a sort of person who's been thrust by destiny into roles he didn't exactly want to play, but was forced to, given his family, and that he thought it was his duty to respond to the call of the moment. He was very dutiful in that way. Mm -hmm. Yes. I mean, when people look back on his legacy, how do you think he'll be regarded maybe decades from now in the pantheon of Philippine presidents? I think he would be regarded as a president who took the presidency seriously, who took public service seriously. He would spend hours and hours studying briefs, documents, and quizzing his cabinet uh, mm-hmm. ministers. I mean, newspapers in the Philippines are now full of testimonials from members of the cabinet yes. when they felt, as they said, you know, more than one person said, I always felt I was defending a PhD dissertation when I was presenting to him. Yes. My sister, who was the government negotiator with the Moro Islamic Liberation Front, I remember mm-hmm. her telling me, you know, she always had to come to a briefing prepared. Noina wanted everything very clear. And he made it very clear that we will not promise anything we cannot deliver. And mm-hmm. we have to be very specific and concrete about those promises. So he really took governance very, very seriously. I would compare him actually to Fidel Ramos, not his mm-hmm. mother. His mother was thrust into a, a very chaotic political environment yes. where, where the systems of governance hadn't yet been in place. Ramos sort of put that whole system, including the presidential office, and it was Ramos who started this complete staff work. And mm-hmm. I'm, I'm surprised that Noino Aquino staff also now say, you know, he always wanted complete staff work, meaning mm-hmm. he wanted all the studies, all the data that were re- ready before him so that he could make an intelligent decision, which is very different from the very instinctive style of governing of, say, President Estrada, who was a movie star, yes, and President Duterte. I would just put ellipses at the end of that. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yes, I mean, I do wonder if the Biden comparison is an interesting one, because to some extent, Aquino benefits from the comparison not with his predecessor, but with his successor. Yes, correct. 
Yes. And actually, the similarity with Biden, there's even more. Mm -hmm. I mean, Biden is not the most charismatic or interesting or lively person. No, no, it wasn't. And they're both very Catholic, very deeply Catholic in their faith. Yes. Yeah. So there, there is a similarity. And both take public service, government service, really seriously. Mm-hmm. You already mentioned something I was going to ask you about, which is, of course, your sister Miriam was very centrally involved in the whole Bangsamoro issue. Do you regard that as an important part of Noinoi's legacy? Yes. I think Noinoi was very determined to make peace with uh, the Moro Islamic Liberation Front. And there were mistakes made along the way, particularly towards the end of the negotiations. Mm -hmm. And so the agreement really was signed, but it was not implemented until Duterte took over. But it was during Noi Noi's presidency that the framework of the negotiations, all the difficult negotiations took place. And so mm-hmm. Duterte inherited that and, and continued with it. I mean, you've made that comparison with Ramos, and Ramos is often credited as being the most successful or the, or the most professional, the most serious president in the post-Marcos era. Why do you think it is that Noino Aquino doesn't seem to have the either the domestic or the international kudos or standing that Ramos did gain after he stopped being president? Well, I think it was partly the moment by the time Noino became president, democracy in the Philippines was seen as more or less stable. You know, it was mm-hmm. governance as usual, so there was not that much publicity. But I also think People have lost interest in the Philippines. It, uh, Ramos came mm. after Cory Aquino. He was a yes. general. He was part of the whole people power thing. But internationally, people had kind of lost interest in the Philippines because it was seen as a normal country. And of course, I think everyone was proven wrong. But I think also it was because the low-key nature of what he did. But on the other hand, you know, you, he did get the ruling in The Hague about the South China Sea. He did. That was that was very important internationally. It was, you know, the first international ruling on disputes involving the Spratly Islands in in Southeast Asia. But apart from that, he was known largely as it was a period of stability and and economic growth and setting systems in place, reforming the educational system, the K to twelve system, which, which was a good thing to do. Happened building roads, infrastructure projects, you know, the boring stuff of governance. Mm-hmm. And I really wish we had more of that instead of the upheavals in which the country had been through, you know, Mm -hmm. basically the last 30-something years. Right. What about the criticisms of Aquino, which I I guess those protesters in the hall at Columbia were getting at, that in some way he was so much part of the existing system that he was never going to support any very substantive reform that would really result in redistribution of wealth or power in what's an incredibly unequal society? So somebody from sort of the center left, not the hard left in the Philippines, who was somehow collaborating and sympathetic was part of the governing coalition, mm-hmm. told me once that Noinoi Aquino's presidency represents the limits of the current system, the limits of mm-hmm. reform in the current right. system, which is a system that's basically ruled by patronage, by political families, and by, by rent-seeking interests, mm-hmm. really, who were represented yes. in, in Congress and in local governments and also the executive branch. And he said, you know, that's the limits. That's as far as we can go. 
mm-hmm. know, cleaning up customs, doing tweaking the tax right. system, all of that, providing public services, education, without touching the social inequity and upending the economic order and the rule of family. I mean, do you think that Noi Noi coming out of, it's a problematic term, but that, that what's often referred to as an oligarchy, coming from one of those very prominent families himself, could he see the limitations of what he was trying to do? Or did he believe that the technical reforms and, and improvements to the system that he wanted to implement would actually solve the problems of the Philippines? Was there a larger vision there or was he essentially working away on a technocratic front? I think Nono was a realist. I think he was very close to a lot of very progressive people, mm-hmm. both both in the left and also among the Catholic community. Yes. Liberation theology types, nuns and priests who were working with the poor and had spoken out against the inequity in Philippine society. Mm-hmm. So he wasn't blind to that. But I think he was also a realist in the sense that what can I as president do given the constraints of the system. And Mm -hmm. I think anyone who becomes president of the Philippines has to wrestle with these same questions. But it wasn't for lack of an understanding of just how big the problems were. No, I I don't think so. I think he figured I can bring peace in Mindanao, assert Mm -hmm. sovereignty in the South China Sea, improve health, education, and social services, build infrastructure, but how do I go against these deeply entrenched oligarchic interests that are in Congress and are very influential Mm -hmm. in government? I don't know that he knew what to do there. I mean, Ramos tried to do this by breaking up the monopolies in the 1990s, and he did that, but, but, you know, that was also the extent of what he could do, right? Basically opening up. So, for example, with telecommunications, it just wasn't one family anymore. Now it's mm-hmm. maybe two and a half families. Right. But it's yep. still 100% more than there was previously. Right. Yeah. Given our political system, given the stronghold of families, of rent-seeking families in Congress, it would take an immensely popular president with immense political will to be able to break that, to make headway in addressing Mm -hmm. deeper issues of poverty and inequity. The way Philippine presidents have addressed poverty are mainly through the conditional cash transfer programs, which actually Mm -hmm. President Arroyo started, which is giving allowances to the poorest families Mm -hmm. so that they can afford to send their children to school. It's a little bit like universal basic income, but not quite that. But so even if, say, we will tax tax the rich, who's going to collect the taxes. When I was in the Philippines, we did work on how Mm -hmm. corruption is in the total revenue system as well as in customs, not to mention the police and the courts. You would have to overhaul all Mm -hmm. of that. And can anyone do that in six years? I'm not sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I suppose from an outsider's point of view and as somebody who has been visiting the Philippines for many years but doesn't really have any deep understanding of it, the most disappointing feature of recent Philippine politics has been how rapidly what seemed to be a reasonably robust coalition of relatively progressive forces that had more or less thrived during the Aquino period had to retreat with the rise of Duterte from from 2016 onwards. Correct. All the 
liberal in the Philippine spectrum, the middle and, mm -hmm. and the left were put on the defensive. They were ascendant during the Aquino era and were very, very influential even during the Ramos and certainly during the first Aquino era, mm -hmm. although their influence diminished given the military's hard line. But still, it remained vibrant. And then Duterte basically put all of those forces on the defensive because, mm -hmm. one, he was his rhetoric was very popular and they didn't quite know how to respond to it. And because he had such a powerful, charismatic personality and information and propaganda machine mm -hmm. that overwhelmed everyone else, including the mainstream media. Yes. So is that legacy sort of still there waiting to come out? Was it, I think many of us are afraid that the next presidential election will not result in a, a more progressive outcome, let's say, than the last one. I think if you just look at the current alignment of forces, uh, the possibility of a pro-Duterte successor seems imminent. But on mm. the other hand, if you've watched Philippine politics from the Marcos era, you'll see that Filipinos prefer someone different from the last president. Mm -hmm. And so there is still the possibility that somebody different will be elected to office. But I also see that the resources are so... The incumbent has, has the resources, everything, that I don't see the opposition being able to muster the resources to be able to put up a fight nationally. There has to be some very important event or some exciting candidate or some massive miscalculation in the part of the Duterte forces for them to lose. I think the next election is for them to lose, but I have stopped trying to predict Philippine Indeed. politics. Yeah? So I think it's too early to make the call. Absolutely. So do you have any final thoughts on what, what we should be thinking about when we remember Noinoi Aquino? Yes, I think we should remember him for what he was, false and all, as probably if, if you see what others see, which is that the Philippines is going through a new cycle of authoritarianism and strongman mm -hmm. rule. Noinoi was the end of that 30 or 40 year cycle, and yes. he did what was possible within the limits of a really a system that skewed against equity and mm -hmm. genuine democracy and paved the way for someone like Duterte. And how is the reaction in the Philippines to his passing? I think there's now sort of a wave of nostalgia for a president who was honest, sincere, didn't curse and didn't kill. Mm -hmm. And who took governance seriously. So yes. I think every time an Aquino dies, something happens. So I don't know, this one, maybe, maybe not. You know, when Ninoy Aquino died, that set off the anti-Marcos movement, mm -hmm. led to the fall of Marcos. When Cory Aquino died, her son mm -hmm. yes. was deemed, he who never intended to run for president, right. was deemed to be the heir of her legacy or the Aquino legacy. Now that Noinoi has died, so there's now a rethinking of, especially at a time when it's possible that a Marcos may run and another Duterte may run, people now remember and start wondering well, what kind of president do we really want? And those in the opposition now feel more hopeful that maybe there is a chance that the Filipinos will snap out of 
the hypnotic five and a half mm-hmm. years in which Duterte had mm-hmm. held the country in thrall, and that maybe this is like a wake-up call. That's the opposition's best hope. Yes, indeed. Yeah. Well, on that thought, this seems to be a good point to draw this conversation to an end. But thank you so much, Sheila, for talking to us today about Mokino and his legacy and the significance of his passing for the potential futures of Philippine politics. It was a pleasure. I'm Duncan McCargo, Director of the Nordic Institute of Asian Studies at the University of Copenhagen, and I've been in conversation with Sheila Coronel, a professor at Columbia Journalism School at Columbia University in New York, who's a leading expert on the Philippines about the recent passing of former President Benino Aquino III, uh, popularly known as Noi Noi, and the significance of his death for the potential futures of Philippine politics. Thank you for joining the Nordic Asia podcast, showcasing Nordic collaboration in studying Asia. You have been listening to the Nordic Asia podcast.